morning, God's Word, do 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as well as Lord's Day 45, as we come back to our study of the Catechism. When we were last in the Catechism, we were looking at the Catechism's teaching and what the Bible says about God's law, about the Ten Commandments in particular, and the question and answer which ended that section asked, why does God want his law preached so pointedly? The answer is so that we may more and more come to know our sinful nature and thus more eagerly seek the forgiveness of sins and righteousness in Christ, and so that we may never stop striving, and here is the important point for us this evening as we transition, and never stop praying to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit. So we'll be looking in the back of our hymnals, page 252. No, that can't be right. Let's try page 894. 893. 893. The bottom of page 893. We're going to read these responsively. Uh, and we want to consider the importance of prayer. Next section on prayer, this is an introduction to the catechism's consideration of the Lord's Prayer. And again, 1 Thessalonians 5, which is page 988 in the Bibles there in front of you. Begin reading God's Word, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now turning to the Catechism, Lord's Day 45, question 116 is where we are, and I will ask the question if you would respond to the answer. Why do Christians need to pray? The answer, because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank him for them. Turning over the page, question 117. How does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? The answer together. First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself to us in his word, asking for everything he has commanded us to ask of him. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer Because of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. Question 118. What has God commanded us to ask of him? The answer, everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord himself taught us. And we will take up that prayer in coming weeks. So we will stop there in the reading of the catechism at least responsively, we'll be considering it tonight. I invite you to keep it out. Tonight we consider three questions. Why do Christians pray? How do we pray? And what do we pray for? If you've been watching the television 
the last week or so, prayer has had quite a central place in our public conversation. You remember the NFL star who got hit in the chest and went into cardiac arrest, and suddenly everyone was praying for this football player. Everybody was asking for prayers for this individual. We didn't think that that awareness was still there, and yet there was a host on ESPN praying for this Player. This is the prayer he offered. God, we come to you in those or in these moments that we don't understand, that are hard because we believe or that are hard because we believe that you're God. And coming to you and praying to you has impact. We're sad, we're angry, and we want answers. But some things are unanswerable. And it went on. But I thought those were very Interesting comments coming from a sports network today. We wouldn't necessarily expect that. We wouldn't even think that would be allowed. And I think he made an apology before he did it and said, I don't know if this is appropriate, but I'm going to do it anyway. We have need for, for God to intervene, don't we? we? We see our need and we're reminded when something like this happens, when an event like this happens, that's, that's in front of us, in front of all of us as we're uh, engaged, at least those of us who are, are, are watching sports or really it got, it got more than just coverage among the sport net, sports networks. It was all over the news. And it reminds us of how important it is for us uh, to pray and just our innate sense that we need to call out to those who can help when we see trouble that we cannot uh, handle. So as we begin this evening, we want to ask the question, why do Christians need to pray? And the answer that we have, we look at this in parts. First, because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. There is something that we want to look at as we begin our study. The will of God is that we give thanks. That we give thanks in all circumstances. Verse 18 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And what biblical teaching helps us to do this? The teaching which reminds us that God works all things for the good of those who love him. We give thanks in all circumstances because all circumstances are under his control and work for the good of those who love him. Help you in to help us in, in doing this, we remember who God is and how he takes care of his own, how he takes care of the whole creation. Even those who may not normally pray since in a time of, of emergency that they have to cry out to someone to get help that they cannot provide. Well, as Christians, we know that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. That's important for us to remember He knows just what we need, and we can turn to him and be confident in his care. That's why I wanted to mention the theme of book one of the Psalter tonight when we took uh, took up Psalm 41, because that is such an important theme. When you look through the entire uh, first book of the Psalter, you see all of these, these situations that come up, all of these concerns within the psalmist, and at the end, he is reminding himself, and God is reminding us through this book of Psalms that he will care for us. He's a wise father who knows what you and I need, and he gives to us what we need, even though we don't always know what to ask for. 
He keeps from us things that would hinder our spiritual growth. He disciplines us in ways that would keep us from sinning. He turns us to himself and away from sin, for he doesn't want it to be attractive to us. He's a good doctor. Doctors sometimes prescribe things that we don't want to listen to or adhere to, and yet if we want to get better, we need to respond. I was mentioning that this past week in the funeral message that I gave from Romans 8.28. There are many things in life that are harmful, and we should thank God for protecting us from them. Those things which we might engage in for momentary pleasure, but which can have lasting and deep consequences and lead to patterns which are not healthy. The Bible tells us that life is filled with hardships. Through much tribulation, we enter into the kingdom of God. We, again, have perhaps forgotten that in our affluence over the last decades, last several generations, and yet it only takes a moment of illness or a, a hardship financially or some other matter which reminds us that life doesn't always work the way we want it to work or the way that we hope it will go. We need to look to the Lord. When trials come, we ask God to deliver and we thank him for revealing himself to us as one who will never leave us nor forsake us. That's a, those are the promises that we, we memorize from Scripture because they're so important to us, particularly in times of, of distress. He is one who is with us. We recognize that he's bound himself to us as the people of God, and we give thanks to God for his commitment to us, even as we give thanks, at least we ought to, children, for our parents that the Lord has given us, as they seek to care for us and watch for us, to model that for us when we have need, to be thankful for all that they do, even as we're thankful to God for all that he does. We can thank him for trials, For we know that he will not crush us in them. We recognize that if we're to grow, we have to be tested. If we're going to pray for patience, then things are going to come along that test our patience. We're praying for perseverance and things are going to come that cause us to ask for persevering grace to keep going. We have to, when we pray for the awareness that we're dependent, then we put ourselves, God will often have us in a situation that's bigger than we are, and we recognize that we need him. Maturing includes testing. We give thanks to God in all of these things, and it is that most important part of thankfulness that God requires of us. Why do Christians need to pray? Secondly, because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank him for them. There are certain gifts that only God can give and that he will only give to those who continually ask and do so with heartfelt longing, with a real desire and to thank him for them. Only God can give you the grace that you need to live that life that he calls you to live, 
Titus chapter 2 says, For the grace of God has appeared, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That's what we're to get rid of, to renounce, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. You don't buy that at your local pharmacy. You don't get that at your local Walmart. This is something that God gives, and only he can give. To live that truly holy life, we have to ask God to provide. I say a truly holy life to distinguish between one who has outwardly disciplined living and the one who has a true heart for the Lord. The one who truly wants to live for the Lord, whether there's a hundred people around watching or he or she is by themselves. Wants to live for God and for his glory. There are resources which teach us how to live a disciplined life. And that can give an appearance of holiness. But we recognize that only God's gracious, regenerating work can truly make us alive. Only God's Spirit can transform us to a person that is humble, obedient, and thankful. And we often may think we're doing quite well until something comes along and then we find ourselves grumbling rather than thankful or dismayed rather than prayerful. And we need to remember in those moments, God calls us to turn to him, to be those who are thankful to him for his grace. The contrast is quite clear when when Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. What does the Pharisee thank the Lord for? Thank you that I'm not like other people, like those other people who do all of that wrong. Thank you for making me so devout and so religious and so disciplined. What does the tax collector say? He says, be merciful to me, O Lord. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I don't deserve your kindness and your goodness, but I need that for my relationship with you to be right, to be, to be what it should be. In order to be restored or reconciled, be merciful. And then the heart moves from that to thankfulness, not thanking oneself in the mirror and saying, well, thank you for getting your act together, but rather looking to the Lord and saying, thank you, Father, for working in me, your child. God, not the sinner, is to be praised for true living, and all thanksgiving goes to him. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. God must give new life, and he will only give new life to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask him for this new life. He doesn't exist to simply get us started, and then once we're started, we say, well, thank you, I've got it from here, like the parable of prodigal son. I want to just get launched, and now I want my inheritance. Now I want to go, and I want to use it as I see fit. No, indeed, we are those who are continually serving, and we're doing so, not like the elder brother, for some sort of a of a special treatment. You've never shown me any kindness, he says to his father. And the father says, you're in my, you're in my family and, and, and all that I have is yours. Are you using it gratefully or are you holding on to it and doing so in a way that shows that your heart is not right with me? 
When receiving, uh, or when receiving from God, well, we have to ask to receive. Ask, seek, and knock, and he will hear and answer. And so Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 7, and he will give you the good things that you need. That's the wording there in Matthew 7 verse 11. And when the psalmist reflected upon all that God had done for him, we used it for the call to worship this, this evening, what does he say? When, what shall I render to the Lord for all the benefits that he's shown to me? I know what I'll do. I will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise. For he is my God, and I will call upon his name. God is not pleased with ingratitude or self-sufficiency in anyone. But tonight, we recognize that the catechism is pointing out that we're dealing with Christians here. He is particularly uh, turned away from those who are claiming to be believers, who are ungrateful, and who are proud in themselves. Why do Christians need to pray? That's the context here. And he says he gives his gifts only to those who ask. Now, is that true? Don't unbelievers receive gifts in this life? Well, Jesus says, yes, they do. The sun shines, the rain falls upon the just and the unjust, the evil and the good. But now, let's remember the context. What gifts are we talking about here? What goodness are we talking about in the light of of this section of the catechism and as it is laid out in the scriptures? Well, it's the grace of God. Unbelievers don't receive those gifts. What, what gifts are we talking about? Well, we're talking about those gifts that are the possession of Christians who ask for them, who alone possess them, faith and repentance, conversion, forgiveness of sins, regeneration. These gifts of grace are given to those who ask. Humility is the starting point then. Only the humble heart will ask God for, for these and then thank God for these gifts knowing that they're not earned. The psalmist said in Psalm 41 tonight, be gracious to me. I don't deserve this. Be gracious to me. Be merciful. Really the theme of Psalm 41. Humble hearts think to ask for such things. Proud and unregenerate hearts do not. Don't miss that. The writers of the catechism, as they introduce this matter of prayer from the scriptures, start right there. Gratitude, thankfulness is the source, is, the, is that, that, that which should well up in us. You think about it, where would we start when we start talking about prayer? How can we, how can we frame this? And it says this, prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. To whom do we give thanks? Why does thanksgiving become increasingly foreign-sounding to people today? Because they've turned from God and they don't know who to thank. They're not sure what they're thankful for and to whom they ought to be giving thanks. And yet the Scripture lays out, you're to be thankful to the one who has given all things and made all things. This biblical emphasis is easily illustrated when we think of it this way, this idea of being thankful. Think of all the examples in Scripture of those who are not thankful. And what is, what is the point? The Bible says, this isn't the way it 
is supposed to be. We could think about it in all kinds of examples of that. One of them was just, that, that came to my mind this week, was Jonah. Uh, Jonah was an interesting individual. He's called to, to go to uh, Nineveh, and he's, he re, he's not pleased with God's plan to offer them uh, salvation, to speak to them. And he is very ungrateful, as we, as we see it in his life, for all the blessings that God has shown to him calling him to be a prophet. And it takes what to turn him around? It takes a swim in the belly of a fish to wake him up to his ingratitude. Listen to chapter 2, verse 9. After he's, in, he's praying from the belly of the fish, he says this, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we know the rest of the story. Unfortunately, he comes out, he's spit up onto the shore, and what does he do? He goes right back to his complaining. Why did you take the vine away from me? Why did you uh, cause that worm to come? And he's, he's complaining, and, and, and he's ungrateful, and he hasn't learned yet that all that he has is from God, and he ought to be thankful for it. And sadly, we... We forget that and we act that way. But we're to act, or we're rather to pray with thanksgiving. That's what the scriptures teach us and the catechism highlights in this introduction. Well, how do Christians pray? How does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? Secondly, it says, first, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself to us in his word asking for everything he has commanded us to ask of him. A prayer must be from the heart and not for the praise of men to no other than the one true God who has revealed himself to us in his word. So it's a, not a Matthew 6, 5 prayer. It's more of a Daniel chapter 2 prayer. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 5, when he's recounting how the... Uh, Teachers of the law pray, or the hypocrites as he calls them. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. They were looking for praise from men for their holiness, for their great discipline, for their great verbosity, their words. Jesus says, no, not like that. When we look at Daniel, turning to Daniel chapter 2, we see something altogether different. We see one who has been uh, raised understanding the faith, but is now in a pagan environment. But he's not following after the other gods. He's not bowing down to those gods, thinking that somehow he has to pacify the one true God and all the other gods just in case. He recognizes that his life is in the hands of God, the only true God. And there is a great concern. Nebuchadnezzar threatens to take the lives of all of these leaders in his kingdom if they will not tell him his dream. Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning the mystery, this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. He says, he says to them, 
ask the Lord. Heartfelt, fervent prayer. Ask him to reveal the mystery that we might not perish. Now, facing death always has a way of focusing our attention. But here we see that this is characteristic of Daniel, not just in this instance, but throughout the book of Daniel. He's recognizing that his position, his future, the future of Israel is all dependent upon the Lord. And he regularly prays to him. He prays, and along with him, his friends pray. And what do we read there in verse 23 at the end of uh, receiving this answer? He says, To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. You've discerned the matter and given us an answer. He prays a prayer of thanksgiving and prays. And he's praised to the one who has been revealed to his fathers, the one true God who has revealed himself in his word. Prayer offered to anything or anyone other than the only true God is empty prayer. Does that mean it has no effect? No, it, it may have a psychological effect upon those who pray. They may feel better as a result of the prayer that they offer to some other being or some other thing. There's perhaps some psychological effect We may even go so far as to say it may rouse demonic deception, causing the one praying, quote-unquote, to be further led astray. We even need to be careful with this in our own circles when we say, well, God told me. I prayed and God told me. Well, does it align with what God has said in his word? Or are we saying, well, God does my bidding I want to do this, which I know to be against the word or which I refuse to recognize as against the word of God. But I'm going to bring God in and I'm going to add his stamp of approval. So you can't tell me that I'm doing something wrong because God told me. Is God divided? Does he say things to us that are out of accord with his word? We must go back to his word. He doesn't speak out of both sides of his mouth saying, do this, and then, on the other hand, don't do this. In the days of the Reformation, we have to recognize the context here a little bit also. In the days of the Reformation, prayers to saints and other intercessors was common, but God does not teach in his word that we are to pray to saints or to any other person but the one true God. We must not minimize that statement praying to the one true God who has revealed himself in his word. How important it is to have the scriptures as our sole authority because it is God's word. Where else can we go? To whom can we turn? But to God for, these, for the truth, for, for this word. Theology matters. Why do we, have, why do we con- or concern ourselves with theology? Because theology matters. What we believe, and we do have beliefs, whether or not we admit that. Some say, I don't believe anything. I just experience life. That's not true. That their lives are directed by what they believe when, when they get up in the morning and how they go through their day and on and on. Theology matters. What do we believe? 
We don't think that God controls all things, and we think that God does not have foreknowledge and learns the future only as we learn it. We'll pray differently. That, that's, that's been a continual battle in the church. Does God know the future? Then what do we make of all of these, these situations that we go through? And some will say, well, he doesn't really know. He's not really sovereign. He's, he's simply learning along with us. That's just not the case. We're not going to look at that tonight. That's not the subject of this Lord's Day, but we can see throughout the Scriptures God has knowledge of the future because he ordains whatsoever comes to pass. This false understanding that God is not sovereign, that he does not therefore know the future, is creeping into the church today. There are many reasons why that's the case, but one must be aware of, one that we must be aware of is that many in the church have a God made in their own image. They know, quote-unquote, what God will do before they pray. Well, because God exists to do what they want. But the Lord does not exist to do our will. We exist to do his and to pray that he would make known to us what we most need for faithful living. Do not forget the testimony of God's holy word, what he says about himself. He is in heaven and does as he pleases. Again, Daniel says something which is very helpful to us in this context when he's speaking, or rather even more, excuse me, rather more astonishingly, this is Nebuchadnezzar saying this in Daniel chapter 4. He says this, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he, that is the Lord, does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? The Lord turns him to understand that God is supreme and does whatsoever he chooses. And he does good. He cannot do other. Well, connected to this is the objection. Well, if if you Christians believe that God knows all that you need already, then why do you need to ask? Why? If he's sovereign and he's... Controlling all that, why do you need to ask? I like Kelvin's response to that in the Institutes. He says, those who talk like this show that they do not understand the end for which prayer was given. God ordained it not so much for his own sake as for ours. (laughs) He says, you need to think about what you really believe you need. And as you pray, it ought to be in line with God's word Your will be done. We don't forget that we are to pray, Your will be done. It's important for us to remember that, for so often we're conflicted in our hearts about what to ask for, what we most need. We're to have the heart of Christ in prayer, praying for what He would pray. God gives his spirit so that we might ask what we need. We say, Lord, grant your spirit so that this might be the case. Romans 8, 26 and 27. The spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here it is. The will of God is central. The Spirit of God must direct. Well, then, the second part of 
Answer 117. How does God want us to pray? Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in God's majestic presence. Our Father will hear the one who prays humbly before him. In prayer, we learn how much we need him. So we pray to him in right understanding. We're brought to the question, who can truly come before him? And yet God says, come to me and I will answer. Psalm 145, the one who calls upon me, him I will hear. The one who answer, or calls upon me in truth. Psalm 145, verse 18. That's why we must not forget how he calls us to come to him as our loving father who will give us whatever we need as we ask. All good things, as Jesus puts it in Matthew 7, verse 7. It's a marvelous grace to be given access into his majestic presence. I think about how, I can't think of the right word, uh, how, how stewarded, how protected royalty is today, how, what access we have to them. Well, there's one royal family, I think you know the one I'm referring to, the one that most people follow today. And as of late, books have been written, interviews have been had on television, and one of the royal sons has had his duties and his title stripped from him. And that made me reflect upon just how is it that I can have the duties and the name, Son of God, not stripped from me, given all that I think and say and do on a daily basis. And I think we all need to reflect upon that. How is it that we are not stripped of that title? How can we come into his majestic presence? And it is only because of the work of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who did not turn away from that call to offer himself for our sins, that we might be declared children of God. And we say, when will this, when will this reality, this, this promised uh, existence in his presence occur. And Paul says in Ephesians 2.6, we're already seated in the heavenlies with him. That's the astounding fact. Now, that doesn't mean we just say, well, okay, we're already there, so doesn't matter how we live. We can just live however we want. No, we live as those who understand who our Father is, and we live in light of his grace and his mercy, praying for his Spirit that we might walk in step with the Spirit, not being conceited. Well, there's much more we could say about that, but we'll move to the third part of this answer. Third, does God want us to pray so that he will listen to us? Third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation, even though we do not deserve it. God will surely listen to our prayer, and there it is, because of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. One of the passages cited there underneath is John 14. Where Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Passage is often pulled out of context to say pretty much whatever we want it to say, because wouldn't it be nice if Jesus would do whatever we ask him to do? Just do what I tell you. <laughs> but the, the context there is he has just been talking about how he's going away, but that he is calling them to be living for the Lord, that the kingdom might come through their proclamation, through their holy living. And he says, all that you need 
I will give you that this might come to pass, that my Father might be glorified in you. It's not about our name or what we want or what we're praying to get what we desire, but rather, increasingly, God works in and through us that our desires might be the same as that of Christ Jesus, wanting the Father to receive the glory for the grace that he has shown to us. That's what he says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Whatever you ask is, is that, in my name is that which is in keeping with his heart and with his mind, and that is that the Father, the Father would be glorified. We can be confident that God will surely listen to our prayers if that is our driving desire. Well, finally, what Christians pray Question 118, what has God commanded us to ask of him? Everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord himself taught us. We've already seen this in Answers 117, praying for everything that we need, physically, spiritually. Without God, we can do nothing. Nothing of the new life that he would have to give us, but in him we can do all. All things that, go, that would bring honor and glory to him. All things that he has asked us to do. He's not setting the, the bar so high or, the, or the, the responsibility is so great to say, now it's up to you to find, figure out how you're going to get there. He says, pray to me all those things that I would seek to do in you. If you ask, I will do them in, your, in you for my glory and for your good. Young people, he doesn't say, flap your arms and get to the moon. That would be something impossible for us. We don't, we don't fly and the moon is too far. But he does say to us, live that sanctified life. Live that holy life. This is God's will for you, that you might be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. What does that look like? That's what we're praying for, that we would understand. That he would do everything that he has commanded. We'd ask for everything that he's commanded us to ask for. For wisdom, for strength, for courage, for humility, for patience. These are all under that umbrella request, which is asking God for greater Christ-likeness. We pray for understanding. Some things don't always make sense. Think of that ESPN host, as I said at the outset, when he prayed, we're sad, we're angry, and we want answers. We, there are things that happen in life that we can't completely understand. One of the, but we need to remember that one of the most difficult things to understand is the cross. Why would God the Son be crucified? He, he hadn't done anything. Why was he bearing the, the cursed death? Because he bore our sins. Why would God do that for us? Because of his great love for us in Christ Jesus. Because he wants to see us reconciled to him so that we might communicate with him, so that we might commune with him regularly, not just in moments of emergency where we want answers, but regularly where we might give thanks to him and praise his name for the way he's growing us, maturing us, leading us to look more and more like Christ, that more and more we might love the Father 
and want to see his will done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayer is like breathing for the Christian. The hymn writer says it well. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath, the Christian's native air. So well said. I close with this thought or this point. Pastor Tim Keller was, has given a number of interviews since stepping down as minister of Redeemer Church in New York City. Some years ago, I saw this, uh, this interview that was being had with him, and, and the interviewer asked this, if there's one thing, looking back on your life in ministry, if there, is there anything you wish you had done differently in ministry? And here's a man who's affected uh, many in his preaching and who's had, who has had tremendous uh, uh, influence. He says this, absolutely. You know what he said? Absolutely. I should have prayed more, without a doubt. Well, I stuck that one up in front of my desk in my study. So true. Pray more. Why? Because God calls us to do that. It's the chief part of thankfulness that we offer to God. How can I show my thanks? Through prayer. And also, because we often don't realize we need God to help us in everything. Without him, We can do nothing. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you at the close of this day, as we have thought about prayer, we could look at so many passages and so many examples of how prayer has connection to you, that you hear us when we humble ourselves before you, when we acknowledge our need and misery before your majestic presence, battles are changed. The outcome of wars, lives are changed. Trajectories of families are changed when we humble ourselves before you. Needs are met. Cares Burdens are lifted. Father, we thank you for hearing us. We're promising that as we come to you, you will hear us. May that encourage us. And as we remember that you ask, or that you command only what you have, what you promise to provide, that you're not asking us to do something above and beyond in our own strength, but you are calling us to humble ourselves before you to do what you have already set before us, that you might be honored and glorified, that we might marvel at your goodness. May that work be worked out in our lives by your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.